What do you do when a health crisis forces the industry you represent to grind to a halt? How do you convince policymakers it's safe to reopen? And how do you help your members pick up the pieces? My name is James Lancaster, and my guest today is Kai Hattendorf, Managing Director of UFI, the Global Association for the Exhibitions Industry. Kai, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you, James. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, this has obviously been a, a very difficult year for your members. Can you just put into some kind of perspective how bad it has been? Uh, where to start? I think that, that, that sigh kind of sums it up. So you mm. really want more? <laughs> no, it's, it's been super tough for, for everyone. Um, I think you've reported on the numbers that we did that the industry as a whole is uh, losing 60% revenue, at least globally, compared to last year. And, and last year was arguably the best the industry had seen in a long, long time. So um, we were hoping for the fall season to be the global restart. And there, there are encouraging restarts in China and somewhat in Europe. Uh, mm -hmm. But as we're heading back into winter in the northern hemisphere or towards winter, um, the virus numbers are, are on the rise again and, and, and impacting our industry going forward into well into 2021. So um, it's not the year anybody was mm. was hoping for, for sure. But it's it's certainly the year everybody is looking forward to uh, having behind us. Yeah. And what are your members saying in terms of, you know, their sort of the future and, uh, and their uh, viability as, as businesses? Are, are they... Is it an existential crisis, this thing, for many of them? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Um, UFI, obviously, is, 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 as an international global association, the, the major players with the international business are the majority of, of, of our members, mm. uh, as far as the organizers are concerned. And of course, the business model of the venue is, is, a, is a rather long-term business model. Yeah. Anyway, that, that has to factor in upswings and downturns. Um, the hardest hit are the small and mid-sized suppliers and the small and mid-sized uh, organizers, especially those who are who are family-run and not listed or private equity-backed. And they are suffering. Um, they are suffering big time. And um, mm. on the supplier side, we've seen uh, the first companies disappearing and um, we've seen some uh, some of the PCOs disappearing and, and we'll see We'll see more companies uh, disappearing or reshaping or um, being being picked up by by other members of the global community. Right. Yeah. So you see uh, mergers and consolidations in the market uh, being a result of all this. Well, I think um, just just I think a day before uh, we we went on to record this, TAS has made uh, two two uh, acquisitions of additional shares and companies in China and the U.S. from from their co-shareholders there. And the general expectation is that after we haven't seen much on the on the M&A side, there will be a flurry of activity coming forward. I for sure know that there's money looking for investments and, that the, and likewise, there are um, players in the market ready to talk about things. Well, that's that's positive, isn't it? In a sense, they, they see a long term future, at least for the industry. Yes. And, and that is that is the I, I believe that is a consensus wherever you go. Um, uh, let's talk about the role. Um, the meeting places and the marketplaces play for societies and, and, and economies, so to say. It's a, I mean, it's, it's, if you wish, it's the gravity of business. And it's, it's so, so basic to, to everyone that you need these platforms and you need to produce and deliver these platforms, the trade shows, the conferences, that um, people are really just waiting to return to the opportunity to see each other face to face. 
uh, and not just screen to screen. You mentioned earlier that um, exhibitions have been taking place in, in, in Asia. I think some of our listeners might be quite surprised to, to, to know that actually hundreds of events have, have taken place over the last few months, um, mainly in Asia, I guess, but some in the Middle East and, and, and even in Europe. Um, why are we seeing this two-speed recovery? Is it just about infections or is it, is, is it government policy? What would you say that are the main reasons for this sort of um, two-track recovery? I think, first of all, Asia struggled with the initial phase of the outbreak a few months before Europe, and Europe struggled with it a few months before the Americas. So it is moving or has been moving from, from east to west. And as many Asian countries um, beat the first wave and, and have avoided second waves uh, to, to a somewhat to, to a decent degree, um, they have reopened their societies and economies. Um, and we've seen similar things happening in, in, in Europe, especially since, since uh, in, in September and, and, and somewhat now in, in October. Yeah. Um, obviously, the shows that return first are those catering to a, a regional or national audience. Because um, even if you look at China, which is the most successful comeback story for face-to-face -face meetings, uh, the meetings that take place there are national meetings. So people travel across China to attend shows in Shanghai and Guangzhou and Shenzhen in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and and, and they, they don't have international participants. Uh, international companies are present through their Chinese uh, subsidiaries or their, their Chinese representatives, but it's essentially national shows. And they, they do this with a broad array of measures in place uh, for temperature checks and, and access controls and uh, medical checks before you start traveling to the destination, medical checks on the destination, all tracked in, in the kind of the Chinese version of a Corona app or kind of a clear to travel app. If you look at another market like Japan, uh, the second largest exhibition market in, in Asia, they reopened uh, two, two to three weeks ago. And I was just on the phone earlier today with Chris Eve, who runs shows for Informer there. And um, he was reporting on, on the sentiment on the show floor. And, and, you know, the Japanese aren't really known to be super emotional. No. But he said, um, by Japanese standards, there were the, the positive mood on the floor was outstanding. And people really, really um, being very happy to have the opportunity to, to meet again. That's face interesting. To face. Yeah. yeah. So they sort of, they breach their cultural sort of <clears throat> reticence. I can't imagine them hugging each other or anything, but I imagine I can just about see what he was getting at. Yeah. No, no it's all, it's, it's all COVID safe. <laughs> what? So, and that, that's, I mean, you're making an interesting point. It's, it, of course, the shows are different. And if we, if we go, for instance, and, and look at, I think the biggest show that has taken place uh, yet again in, in Europe, uh, the Caravan Salon in Dusseldorf mm. a few weeks back. Um, now they had a, a limit of capacity of 20,000 attendees uh, or visitors per day and 107,000 people attending the show in general. The aisles were wider, mm. uh, people were keeping a distance. There were lots of hand sanitizers, etc. So obviously, the show floor is designed in a different way with all these COVID measures in place that are based on, on WHO recommendations, on, on our UFI global framework, on the good practices from UFI, ICA, ARPC, et cetera, the, the open uh, safe standard from, from uh, Informa, Reed, Clarion. I mean, the industry really got together to produce lists of measures mm. um, that we put to the authorities to say, listen, we know how to keep people safe. We know how to run an event and we actually know how to organize things. 
Mm. Um, so, so let us go and show it. Um, think, um, and we've, we've done that in Asia, we've done that in the Middle East, we've done that in Europe. And happy to say, not one of these hundreds of shows has been a super spreader event or yeah. even a spreader event. That's extraordinary. Do you, do you think it's easier to make an exhibition safe uh, than, a, than a conference? No, I think you can. I mean, it's 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 the same rules apply. Uh, it's 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 the flow of the audience. It's obviously the seating is a bigger issue at a conference than it is at a, at a, mm. at a trade show. At a trade show, it's the distance between the the booth and the setup of the stand. But same rules apply, and you can just as safely run a conference as you can as you can run an exhibition. Mm. But I'm just thinking. I've seen more of a kind of resurgence in exhibitions than than conferences maybe that has something to do with the um the associations lobbying on their behalf i've noticed ufi have been very active in their lobbying efforts and in setting safety protocols uh, just on a broader point about associations do you think and obviously nobody would wish for a crisis like this to happen but is there a sense in which associations should be sort of hardwired to to deal with crises like this and actually this is when associations matter most uh, well, you won't get an association professional, I, I know, like me, to, to, to disagree with you on the importance of associations in times of crisis. Uh, and that's the obvious answer to give. But I think they, they, it's also the right answer to give. Because um, uh, mm. quite frankly, um, we are possibly in one of the best positions to unite the opinions and aggregate the voices of a sector, um, focus it. And then relay it to to the authorities um, and stand up for our sector, mm. um, and that is for the exhibitions on the UFI level or for the whole business events industry. If you then go to the supra level of of the joint meetings industry council and other umbrellas, mm. I actually had some of my members telling me um, they are now openly challenging companies who have been sitting on the fence about joining an association like UFI or, or any of the colleagues uh, left, right, and and, and center. Um, and challenging them to, to right now join because right now is uh, when when we need to be able to to focus on on the job at hand um, and in and, and difficult times and it's certainly uh, easier to have a united voice than for every company trying to be to be heard it's a collaboration effort mm. anyway because um, obviously the decision to to run a show is made on the local level with the local authorities and the local venue and given the local local circumstances Mm. Um, but how to implement it and the um, positive examples you can cite from other events, from comparable venues, from comparable destinations. That's what makes all the difference. Yeah. So it's setting those precedents. Some governments seem to have an intuitive grasp of business events. Um, Germany, Australia, um, places in the UAE. Uh, other governments seem to find it very difficult to grasp the concept of business events. Um, why do you think that is? What, is it a cultural difference or a political difference? I think it is very hard to look for a general line and say, this is why some types of countries get it. This is why other countries uh, take a different approach and, and struggle to see the value. Uh, take Germany, for, for example. Um, uh, this, this famous German Mittelstand, uh, these, these medium-sized companies with a strong international mm. footprint, they grew to be so international because they were using these platforms of the German masses. And um, this, the, the German trade show industry grew after World War II. It was actually invented by, by some British officers when it set up Deutsche Messe in Hanover in 1947, okay. uh, picking up on the tradition of the Leipziger Messe from, 
from back in the medieval ages. Mm. Um, and and, and as, as the German masses are venues and organizers owned by the cities and the states, there's a natural closeness uh, to, to, to policymaking. That, that goes to some way to explain um, why they can successfully prove the point uh, how, how, how vitally important they are. Um, and it leads to Germany passing legislation. Like if you travel into Germany for attending a trade show, this is essential travel and you're, you're free to come into the country. You still have to quarantine, but you're free to come into the country, mm. uh, which is something that Italy has picked up and, and, and did, uh, did likewise a few days later. Um, if you look at Australia, the Australian government traditionally has seen the value of business events. And if you look at um, the size of the market there in relation to the size of the economy, Australia is really, really benefiting from that uh, in international reputation. Um, and uh, I certainly look to what's happening there regularly uh, as a source of inspiration. And there, there are great colleagues there doing very innovative things. Mm. Um, they're also very, very small countries like, like, um, like Singapore uh, or, or destinations like Hong Kong uh, doing a lot to, to promote the sector because they see the relevance and the... Um, or the positioning on the global on the global level they can get out of that. Yeah. Um, other countries, um, the U.S. is has has these fifty very very proud states with their respective approaches to 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 life and culture. Um, so probably as as complex to come to a general agreement there as it is to come to a general agreement on the level of the European Union. Mm. Um, yeah, um, and other countries simply uh, change their approaches uh, over time a little bit in line with government policies. Yeah. In the UK, there's a sense that the business events industry is, is simply not understood at the highest levels of government. Um, I wonder if that's true or, or I wonder if it's a political culture where um, business events isn't sort of sexy enough in terms of registering with the voter somehow and you know, the whole conversation in, in the UK has been around pubs opening and schools and sort of quite sort of emotive stuff like that. And yeah, it's difficult to know, as you say, but I, I do get a sense that somehow um, there is a political culture in some countries, which isn't as serious maybe as it is in, in other countries. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I found that list of um, places that were allowed to reopen over the summer. Mm. Um, very British. Uh, and, and what struck me as a, as a mainland European was that model villages were allowed to open, but not, not business events. Yeah. Um, congratulations to all the colleagues in the associations <laughs> advocating on behalf of model villages or public ice rinks. Um, great job. Well done. Mm. Uh, probably the economic benefit to the country is, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to either operators and owners of uh, outdoor ice rinks or model villages. Um, somewhat less intense than the positive impact you can have from business events. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any sympathy at all for politicians who struggle to get their head around uh, business events as an industry? I was speaking to Martin Sert the other day and he, he mentioned that he, was, he was, had a conversation with you in which you came up with this idea of the meta industry in that it's a sort of an industry that serves lots of other industries. Do you, do you think it can be a little, yeah. um, a little sort of diffuse or opaque for politicians to get their head around or is that is that I, 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 I stand i stand by the meta industry because mm. um what we what, what we struggle from is very simple i mean the airline industry has an industry code and everybody knows what's part of the airline industry and what's related to the airline industry like an airport 
um, which is nothing but the venue for people to fly from. Mm-hmm. Um, like a venue is the place for people to go to for business events in our industry. Uh, same with the car manufacturing. Everybody knows there's a car manufacturer and then there are the suppliers mm-hmm. and they have venues and they're called factories. So, um, but, but they all essentially have a very tangible product or experience. And we as an industry, the one thing we stand guilty is that by definition, the platforms we build, we build for the industries and the sectors we work for and we serve. And we don't put ourselves in the spotlight. Mm. And as such, the, uh, everybody knows uh, a venue like the, the, the NEC or Excel. Everybody knows some conferences and events that they attend uh, and they love them or hate them. Um, but, but it's Christmas for, for the industry or Christmas for the, for the medical sector that they belong to when they go to it because everybody's there and they all come together uh, mm. and have a jolly good time. Um, but as an industry, we have never sought that limelight and that spotlight ourselves. And um, this is something we, we were addressing from the UFI style. We started addressing a few, day, few years ago when we launched something like Global Exhibitions Day and say, let's at least one day a year, uh, first Wednesday in June, uh, stand tall and stand proud and make our make the invisible giant that is the events uh, business events and, and exhibitions industry let's let's make this invisible giant visible mm. um, and let's build some momentum uh, and awareness because we will need it at some point yeah? sure. this is probably what we haven't done and in that whole context we were discussing what is the best way to describe us uh, are we an industry are we a sector are we a service politicians react to the needs of industries this is kind of the language they speak, the, the political code, so to say, of language. And if we don't say we are an industry, um, we, they struggle to understand us. At the same time, arguably, we aren't an industry. We don't produce cars. We don't produce flights. Yeah? Mm. We produce experiences, events. We foster deals. We produce marketplaces and meeting places, which are by definition not as tangible as a car. Mm. And um, our product is the success of others. And therefore, we came up when we discussed the definition for the sector like two years ago at a Jimmy conference in Hanover. And, and um, at some point, I just added the word meta and say, well, then we are essentially an industry, so they understand us. But to make sure, make, make sure everybody understands that everybody benefits from what we do, uh, besides ourselves, we are so meta that we are in everything, that we support everything. Mm. Which now translates, because it's, it's difficult to grasp, which we've now translated into what I hope, what I get as feedback is, is a message that is easy to understand for politicians. Uh, we, we are not just another sector uh, where people's employment and livelihood depend on having a job. And as such, we are not a problem for them to deal with, like the airline sector, yeah. uh, like the manufacturing sector, like the service industries. But we are the solution and a part of the solution for for COVID because uh, to kickstart everything, uh, to, to restart society and in the post-COVID age, we need the, meet- the, the meeting places and the conferences to mm. kickstart the sectors, to fill the order books of every single industry. We need yeah. the marketplaces. And there's only one industry that can build and run those. And hello, that's us. Mm. So we are, by definition, not part of the problem, but part of the solution. Yeah. On that, do you... Do you see a full recovery of the of the industry? Do you, do you look at it in those terms or do you, do you see a different industry emerging? Let me give you a political answer. We will make a full recovery by being different. Right. And it's uh, because, quite frankly, we are always different every year. 
Now we tend to we tend to, to to say, well, look at the floor plan of the Grand Exhibition in 1851, and look at the floor plan from the year 2010 or 2020, and the floor plan is still a floor plan. Uh, and arguably, yes, yes, it is. But what happens at the booth, how the stand looks like, uh, to what degree the smartphone has evolved the digital experience while you're on the show floor, to what degree uh, food and beverage has changed, to what degree services around an event have evolved. All of that changes year on year. So the industry is different every year and is evolving every year. COVID and the pandemic will fast track some evolution and will stop other evolution for, for a while. But as an industry, we will be back. Mm. Um, when, you, when you want to talk about numbers, uh, it took us as an industry, I think three years after the uh, 2008 economic crisis to return to the pre-crisis level in China. I think it took us between four and five years in Europe and 10 years in the US. Right. Um, now this, this, this impact now goes much deeper, but whether it will take us three years to return or five or 10, it may be the same time horizon. Mm. Um, this whole situation opens so many opportunities as well, um, because we will have to rethink the way we do events. Mm. Uh, we, we can redesign the way we shape experiences. Um, a show floor will still be a show floor and a conference hall will still be a conference hall. But you can build completely new and additional business models around the whole content on demand experiences we are now all building. We are all learning how to include remote audiences in an on-site experience. Yeah. We all struggle with linear programming on stage versus the need for broadcast models if you do something live across time zones. And we learn a lot. Yeah. And we'll find answers to, to the questions we have right now and we will have a better product. And for a better product that delivers value to the customers, that drives uh, ideas and innovation, that fills order books, people will be happy to pay because it will make their business more successful. Mm. I was just interested, um, people might not know this, but before you entered the events industry, you, you were in journalism, weren't you? You were a journalist. Um, has that, did that sort of form Among life? other things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst other things. Did, did your experience as a journalist, has that helped at all in the last seven months in terms of your role at UFI? Well, it, it probably has in some ways and probably has not in others. Mm. Um, I think there's a similarity that as, as a reporter, as a journalist, uh, unless you're writing an editorial, it is also your role to serve the story mm -hmm. and, and to serve the reader or the listener or the viewer and to produce uh, a good product um, for them to form and shape an opinion. Um, I think certainly uh, having, having been on television now helps me setting up a timetable uh, for, for an international event that uh, will unite people from Asia, Europe and the Americas. Mm. Um, and hopefully what I've learned in, in scheduling broadcasts is, is useful there. Mm. But I'm, I'm, I'm probably just as good or bad as an example as almost every industry colleague um, because we are a combination of people in the business events industry with so many different talents from so many different areas. Yeah. And that makes us so powerful as an industry. Uh, and because what unites us is the, the possibility or the, the, the capacity to collaborate, to produce something great, put something sure. good together. And so those who are saying, um, 
we need more qualification for 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 events professionals there's you yes you need to learn a lot when you when you go into the events industry but you can always learn that i think what makes this industry so so unique in many ways is that we attract totally different people uh, from mm. from journalism from from uh, from culture from classical production jobs or association jobs yeah. and and that makes this industry so 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 rich in talent and and diversity yeah no i agree so um final final question um what do you see obviously you don't have a crystal ball but um how do you see 2021 panning out better better yeah <laughs> things can only get better there's a song there so. uh, yes i don't know how much music you play on your on your on your on your pod uh, but it's um i honestly um what a year 2020 is and um i believe if if you ask me for my gut feeling as indeed i i ordered a crystal ball on on amazon prime day but they said they can't deliver um uh, see, talk about digital platforms and digital marketplaces, whatever you want from them, you can't get. Mm, so back exactly. to face-to-face -face and, well. and physical <laughs> show floors. But um, no, no joke aside, it's uh, this year is outstanding in so many ways. And um, we have technically the procedures in place to test people with the uh, antigen tests, with on-the-door rapid testing a few minutes before they can go to an event. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can secure people be, to, to be safe at an event. Uh, we have all these phase three trials of vaccines out there. Um, and after the initial waves of, of giving vaccinations to those who need the most in the, in the healthcare sector uh, and, and the essential workers, uh, we will hopefully be able to, to make vaccinations widely available for the general public. Uh, borders will reopen, travel will resume. And all this pent up demand for people to come together, to see each other, to do business together, to celebrate being together will be out and it will be an explosion of joy and it will be an explosion of business. And I can't wait for that day. And I guess it will be in 2021. Brilliant. Well, Kai, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on a deep dive. And I'd just like to wish Ufi and its members uh, all the very best of luck for 2021. Thank you very much. Thank you, James.